Hi, I'm Cameron. And I'm Dominique. We both work for Starting Right Now, also known as SRN. A lot of times, homeless youth are spoken for. Often, people assume what homeless youth would need, and I want homeless youth to be able to speak for themselves. We're getting ready to blow up the best kept secret. Beautiful, unaccompanied youth. On this episode of Raising Me, we're talking with Anita. We all are there with crazy backgrounds and trials. I felt comfortable, and I didn't even have to say that I felt comfortable, it was just just there. It may have hurt, but it made me who I am today. Now through trials and tribulations, I still celebrate. Cause I'm starting right now. I'm starting right now. We're here with Anita, a Starting Right Now student. Do you remember your first day in starting right now? Yeah. I remember the day I had asked my friend for her headphones because I was just going to go in there and ignore people. I was just going to put my headphones <laughs> on and ignore people. And when I got picked up, drove to my house, we got my stuff, and I was kind of sad, even though I was just going across town. But at the time, I didn't know what Bayshore was. Mm-hmm. I had never heard of Bayshore. Like, I swear, I didn't. And I actually hadn't been da- into downtown Tampa at all unless I was going to the courthouse. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I would just go back home. So I had never even seen downtown. So did you grow up in Tampa? Yeah. Okay, so I you grew, grew up, up in Tampa, Tampa but, but you never really been downtown. Yeah, I had never really been downtown unless mm-hmm. I was, like, at the courthouse. And so it was weird. Like, I didn't—I honestly thought when I got in the cab, like, the next time they were kidnapping me because I didn't know where I was at. Of course. That seems like a natural reaction. I mean, of <laughs> course you didn't know. everyone's well, I, mean, I don't. I mean, you agreed, you agreed to it. You had heard the contract and met with people, so maybe not being kidnapped. But, it, like, it seems reasonable that you would yeah, be— it was, I didn't know. It would be unnerving. Mm-hmm. You're going yeah. in a cab to a strange and place. So I was nervous. But the first time, I got to the office, and then I saw Dom. Everybody was at the door when I came in. <laughs> Sure, welcome party. <laughs> yeah, because we had a speaker that day. And so I guess they were waiting for him. I don't know the case, but everybody's at the door and Dom's like, oh, I like hugs. Is that okay? And at first I was like, okay, I just give this girl a hug and go sit down. Ended up giving everybody a hug because everybody wanted to be hugging that day. Is that weird? Do you um, go around and give hugs to strangers? <laughs> yes. And, but it was like, it wasn't weird because only because the energy they had behind the hug. Like it would have been weird if it was like, give me a hug now but mm-hmm. it was like oh we're happy to have you da-da. so it was like okay just that it didn't bother me that much why did you trust that this program was going to help you become free or dependent not dependent on anyone else I, I like at the time I, have, I was not talking to anyone about it at school except my coach mm-hmm. and he only knew because his wife was my pastor and they knew my aunt and they knew how she treated us or would talk to us mm-hmm. and so he knew before my birthday came that I was going to be on the street like he would just keep asking me every day what are you going to do Anita and I'd be like I don't know I have a plan I'm sorry rewind for two seconds so you just said on your 18th birthday you were told you had to get out on my 18th birthday I had my stuff already packed and I was gone because that's what she wanted. And I also didn't want to be there because it was very emotionally draining, mm-hmm. very negative energy. I didn't want to be there when I was 16. I didn't want to be there when I was 18. But that didn't make like the situation easier when I didn't have anywhere to go. How long did you live with her for? I got adopted, I think, when I was 13. I was in the system almost a year, not a full year after my mom passed. What does the system mean? Foster care system. Ah. Mm-hmm. Then she adopted us. We were in and out. They took us from her, too, but they gave us back. And then she adopted us. So when I was 13 to 18. I think we should explain that timeline. I mean, I kind of know it, but like, just for clarity. So your mom passed away when you were 12? Yes. From? She had cancer. 
stomach cancer. And so was it ex- it was expected? Yes and no. I was still pretty much a kid. I didn't really focus on her. Like we knew she was always in and out of the hospital, but every time it was some she would just tell us like, "Oh, it was just the flu." Or she she wouldn't tell us what it really was. Mm-hmm. Us being kids, we don't really ask into questions or really anything. Like I remember one time I thought she was pregnant and she told us she was pregnant. And that she lost the baby, but it was just her cancer swelling up in her. So do you think she was she was keeping things from you she as to was, not bother you? To what? To protect you from the truth, which was hard to hear. I think so, yes, but I don't that's not what the outcome was. If it was me, I wouldn't do that to my kid. Like I didn't expect that. It would have been better if I knew what was coming. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I obviously when you see your mom deteriorating, you know what's coming. But it was like it would have been better for us to know exactly what what it was, what was the thing that took her. And we didn't know until after she passed. So later you found out she was sick, but you didn't know. Yeah, that like the we sick knew was. she was you didn't sick. Didn't know at all. Yeah, Not we knew she, she was sick, away. but didn't we didn't know, know what it was until she passed away. And they oh they were like, well, this is what what it was. She had cancer and got did sick and then know? she couldn't fight it. I think he did, but he never really said he did or he mm. didn't. At the point when we all found out, it was just like, okay. She, I was just more hurt that she didn't tell, any, like, she, not even her sister. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. I don't know what rationalized that for her. Because I knew she was dying. I, we never knew what it was. Because, like, when I tell you my mom was, like, a healthy woman, she was very big. And she went from that to skeleton and bone to not being able to walk, not being able to feed herself. Like, so we knew it was coming. We just didn't know what was what it was. And when she did pass, it was a surprise only because not because we didn't see it coming because it was very apparent in her appearance. But Mm -hmm. because like at that point, the doctor was only telling us how long she had. And we were told only three months and she was gone within that next week. And Mm -hmm. so that's what was so crazy about it. And um, I got closure, but not from the situation but just from okay well that's it is what it is like I'm not I'm still upset well I'm not so upset but I'm still sad sometimes when I'm like of course because I wasn't able to do and say a lot of things am I remembering this correctly when her illness started to really take over you became her caretaker yeah correct she had five kids but I was the only one who's really me and my um dad we mainly me and my dad and sometimes my sister we all kind of stepped in but most of my siblings were out like always all the time like so you're 11 or 12 taking care of your mother yeah like we bathed her like because she couldn't do anything like we literally had a, our dining room became her room we had her hospital bed her little toilet sometimes she couldn't make it to the toilet we're cleaning her up we took care of her until she passed and feeding her everything that's how we knew it was coming I didn't even cry but I cried at the funeral but I didn't cry like when it had when they told me because I was more like she's free like she I knew she was going through a lot like I wouldn't want to live through that I didn't want to see her go through that. So mm-hmm. I didn't cry. And a lot of my siblings were like very mean towards me. Like, why aren't you crying? You're so, they used to call me the devil and all that. But they didn't understand because they weren't there cleaning her diapers. They weren't there like picking her up, putting her in her um, wheelchair to watch TV with her on a Saturday morning. Like they weren't there for that. Mm-hmm. So they didn't understand. And I didn't cry to her funeral when I seen her casket. Like that was when I think it clicked for me. Like she wasn't going to be there next Saturday. Like that's when I started crying. Mm-hmm. I didn't stop all that whole funeral. I just was drained what finally hit you that's a lot to take on for as a 12 year old you lose your mom and a lot of your family support changes so what happens after your mom passes away then what I stayed with my dad and we all stayed in the same house Mm -hmm. that we lived in previously with my dad and it was just me my oldest sister and my younger brother my two older siblings at that point was already moved out the house so we were staying with my dad for a couple months and then he got arrested for what he did and 
Then I was in the system, and then I came back with Monty that summer. But they took us that same summer, right the day before school. You went back into foster care. So you don't want to say what he went to prison for. Yeah, I can ask you the same thing. Do you want to explain? Yeah, sure. Well, my, it's your choice. Yeah, only do I it can. if you want to. But yeah, my dad, he went to prison. He, well, he went to jail at that time for raping me and touching my sister. And yeah, he's there for 26 years. I have questions that obviously you can mm-hmm. not answer. You, don't want to. you can say I don't want to answer that. Was this something that was ongoing? No. At that time, like, I think it was just something within me that I just was tired of it. Cause my tired mom, of the sexual abuse. Yes, because my mom had just died. Like, I thought he would stop because she so had just died. he was abusing died. you before that? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to cry. Of course you're going to be emotional. You don't need to apologize <laughs> no. for that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It was like three, two, three years, wait until my, like, all this time, my mom's in and out of the hospital, and those were the main times when he would do it, but he also didn't care, like, he would do it when I'm at my aunt's house, well, not my aunt, that I stayed with, his, his sister, he just didn't care, but it got worse when she got sicker, because she wasn't really able to see it or do anything, they no longer shared a room together, because she had her room in the dining room, mm-hmm. and... I just was tired of it by the time my mom passed because, I don't know, it felt worse every time it happened. I felt like she was watching me, like her spirit. So that started to eat at me. And I started to say no. I started to fight. I was really scared of my dad because he just, he looked scary. Like, he never smiled. Well, that's a terrifying act to experience as a child. Yeah, no matter how he looks. Right. I mean, I know, but... I say that because sometimes I'm like, I kind of blame myself because I never really screamed. I never, I just always hoped that someone would come, but they never did. And sometimes I feel like that's my fault. But also, no, um, he shouldn't have been doing that. But just for the record, this doesn't need to be in the podcast. It might be. None of this was your fault. That's unclear. I know. I know it's not my fault. But I also, like, I used to blame a lot of people. I used to blame my sister for being in the next room and not walking in. Did you know? That's what I'm wondering. He did it to all my sisters. I was his only biological daughter. I was the youngest girl. He did it to all my sisters. My oldest sister is 25. And did y'all know that it was happening to each other? They knew. Well... I didn't know. They would argue about it. My mom and my dad would argue about it. And you know when they're arguing about that because he likes to cry. That's the only time you see him cry is when he's trying to beg for forgiveness about that. And when I was a kid, I would see, you know, them argue about it. I would be at the door while the door is closed. And I would hear stuff. And then he'll go and he'll cry to my sister and ask her for forgiveness. And I would never, like, know what it is because he wouldn't really say what it was. He would just be... I didn't know. I'm sorry. I was drunk or I don't remember. And that's all I would know. So me as a kid, I'm like, what don't he remember? Like, what is he? Why is he begging my sister for forgiveness? Okay, move on. Like, but as I got older, like I said, he wouldn't care. So we would all be like sleeping and we'll watch, have a movie night in my parents' room. And at this time, my mom would be, or it'd be when my mom's out in the hospital or something. And my sister will wake me up. And how we laid in the bed, it was me because I was the youngest and I was the smallest. And then it was Jaheem, and then it was my older sister. She was tall, and it was my dad. And that way, we all could see the TV. One night, she woke me up, and she was like, can we switch places? And I was like, no, because the friend is the best spot. Me being the youngest sister, I'm going to be bratty. I'm like, no. And she was like, please, please. And I was like, no. And I, and I went back to sleep, and I didn't say anything. And she would just always do that. 
as I got older, my they would get more vocal about it, and I'm more older. I'm knowing he's doing this to her, but it's just touching. Mm-hmm. He never raped them. He only touched them. When it all came out that I realized, I, like, you can't deny it anymore. They've said the words. It was when my aunt, I was sleeping at my aunt's house. This is the one I was living with. And I spent the night at her house, and she was on the phone with my mom or my sister or my older sister. I don't know who she was on the phone with, but she was talking about my dad. And she said, well, he's, he's touching her, and he's always touching her, and she's, she's going to stay with him, and she's, he's never going to touch Anita. And at that point, I, I knew he was talking about because at that point he was already doing it to me. But nobody knew because everybody assumed I was his biological daughter and he wouldn't do it to me. Assumed? And, are you not his biological daughter? No, I'm saying because oh, I was because his you were. Okay, I okay. am his biological daughter. I'm his only. The other ones were not. And then the other ones are not, like, mm. except me and my little brother. So did you call the police? Did no. When it all came out, she called the police because... Who is she? Your sister? Yeah, my sister. <laughs> it was like by that time my mom had passed mm. and he was doing it more... Like, he literally gave me a week. Then after that, he was back at it. And so I was very upset. And I, I even, like, thought about, like, oh, if I get him a woman, he'll leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Like, so he started having women in the house. And he would always, like, apologize, like, like, we, like oh, to not disrespect our mom. But at that point, I was like, I don't care as long as you leave me alone. And he started messing with me again, and I just started going to after school. I started trying to be home as late as possible. I was going to church more. I was going to Boys and Girls Club mm-hmm. in the neighborhood. To and avoid being home. To avoid being home, yeah. So because you were fighting outlets. Yes, mm-hmm. I was trying. And then one day I got home, and he was there with all my uncles on his side of the family. And they were, like, all getting drunk or whatever. And it was, like, a typical day because that's all they did was stay on the porch, blast our music, and get drunk. And then he left, and my sister was on the phone with my aunt. And they were, like, trying to come up with a plan for me to, for us to move with her because— mm-hmm. We didn't want to be there anymore because he just was only, oh, that's all he ever did was get drunk, go to the club, come home, mess with me, bang up the house. Like, he was just doing too much. Like, we didn't want to be with him. We were trying to come up with a good plan to where, like, we would be, like, so she basically said go to school and to tell, complain or whatever. But that's what we were going to do. And then, like, she hung up, my sister hung up the phone with her. And she was like, Anita, I just have a question for you. And I was like, what? She was like, what did daddy do to you when he takes you out of the room? Because at that point, I had started sleeping in her room. She had a couch in her room, and mm-hmm. I just stayed in there. And I had my own room, but I always stayed in there, like, because I felt safe. And then she, I said, you know what he does. And she's like, no, I don't. You need to tell me. And I was like, you know. Like, I just don't have to tell you because you you go through it, too. And she was like, no, tell me. And I was like, he rapes me. And she was like, Anita, do you even know the difference between rape and touch? I told you that because the first time I told, I told her. And she was like, I was like, what's the difference between raping and touching? And she was like, this is this. And I was like, no, he rapes me. And so she, like, caught the police immediately. She was crying. Mm-hmm. And my dad. How old were you at that point? I, uh, I, I was 11, and oh I was God. turning 12 in, like, two months. At that, that point. it matters. It doesn't. But yeah. So young. I mean, before we talk about how it proceeded after that, I just want to be sensitive to what we're talking about. I just want to make sure we're being sensitive. I'm not really sure what that is. Because you're talking about it really eloquently and you're emotional, but you seem possessed in a way that seems appropriate. (sighs) Thank you. But I just want to make sure we're representing it in a way that feels good to you. So is there something we should be talking about specifically that we're not? When I talk about what happened to me, I like to talk about how I felt going through it. I feel like 
the people, the police officers, they were really helpful. The Every time I had to testify, go to court, whatever the case was, they tried to make it as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. But it's still hard. And I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like it's never going to be that much understanding, though. So I can't really hold that against them. Well, that's, I think that's the part I want to talk about. I'm glad you said that because it seems strange to me in our society that you are the one that has to feel ashamed about what happened because you are a victim. None of this was your choice. In general, why I understand why there is a fear to speak out, obviously, because a lot of people aren't, it is not well understood, but I don't even understand the logic of why someone would be blamed for this sort of thing. Do you understand what I'm getting at? No. no. Okay. That's why I'm like, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I don't think I was blamed. I didn't feel blame. I felt guilty. I felt, but that's what, I think everybody's story is different. For me, it was my dad. For other people, it's their neighbor. It's a friend. But different feelings come from that because now someone who happened to them, it was a neighbor, they can hate them for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. Like that person did that to them. Me, it's not that simple. That was my father. Mm-hmm. I did, I hate him in that moment. I sat, I'm sad for him now. I still miss when, before he started doing it, like I still have those memories, that's my dad. So that whole situation for me was all, is always gonna be different with someone's going through the same thing because I have completely different connection, different feelings, it's weird, it's different. Just like it, it would be for someone who's the interviewee who don't, who's never gone through that. Mm-hmm. So I remember specifically us talking about this one day and he's saying a lot of the, this weren't your exact words, but the conflict you were enduring is that this is your father. As bad as it was with the rape, there was this other greater piece pulling you too, which is, and you use the term guilty, you felt guilty because you love this man despite his acts. Yeah. And so I'm putting words in your mouth, but based on our conversation, I felt like you hoard that guilt because it was like, but he's my father and I love him. Um, despite his bad actions, you feel like there was good also to this person who had made some really poor choices. Yeah. And I sometimes I think like people used to, well, my aunt, she hated my father my whole life. So even before all of this, she hated him. And when throughout this whole trial, this is the person I'm living with. I'm having to hear just these horrible things about my situation, what's going on with my dad. That's also another thing like that me as a victim, I hate it because, ew, I never use that word. I've never said victim. Yeah, I've never heard you say that. Why don't you use that? Why is that weird? I don't know. I don't know. I guess because if like I was just about to say, going through that with the court, all them, that's what they called me the whole time. I've never, ever labeled myself as victim and I didn't want to. So I've never used that. I had enough people calling me that as it is. It only matters to me because most like I'm not trying to say that if you're sexually abused, you're not a victim because not like that is how you're a victim if that's happened to you. But for me, I didn't. I just never put myself in that term together. It was something that everybody else did. Like everybody who heard this story always called me a victim. So I guess I never really call, had room to call myself one, if that makes sense. And I also like, it just never came out my mouth. Oh, I'm a victim of this. I was never, I looked, I never looked at myself as a victim. I looked at myself that as uh, someone who went through these situations and living life moving forward. So I think, as far as that term, it does apply to people who who went through those situations, but not to me. And I think it only can apply to someone unless they allow it. That's how I feel about it. Well, I guess as I'm sitting here listening, I mean, the reason I wanted to ask that was because I was, I'm sitting here talking about it and you felt differently. So I wanted to give you, I just wanted to give you the chance to clarify mm-hmm. or to correct me. But also as I'm sitting here listening to you talk about it, the thing that I'm realizing is, you know, those terms take away your identity. It's like, it's not Anita anymore. Yeah. It is this 
label that is kind of an empty category. And so I guess what is important is like the specifics of your story and being of all of it, like all Anita has to offer and allowing you to speak for yourselves rather than people referring to you. Look at you. <laughs> Look at him. He like summed that up so nice. Okay, that sounds right. Yes. That's what I was going to say. We have, like, it's our story. Like, we see it from our point of view. And going through that with the legal thing, they don't really give you rank to talk. You don't really, you, you tell them your, test, your story one time, and that's when they take your report. And from there on, it's repeated by 10 to 20 different people. Mm-hmm. And you just have to sit there and you hear it. And you're rehearing and you're hearing what you went through. And that's, I don't know, it's great. It's very hard. That's a very interesting perspective, Anita. I've never thought of it that way. Like in the court system, you're speaking as this victim, but not necessarily as Anita, because there was more to your life than just these instances of rape. And so that's very interesting. And yeah, and I brought that up to say like the feelings that I had for my dad. Yeah, I hated him in that moment, what he did. And I still hate that he did that. But he is my dad. And I do love him. And I'm sad that my kids will never know their grandpa. And I'm sad that before all that happened, like, my dad was my dad. Like, I was a a daughter's girl. That's why when it came out, nobody believed. Well, his family, they didn't believe what I was saying because our relationship before it started happening, they didn't think any of that would even be possible, but it happened. I don't know what to say. Okay. I mean, you you said it. (laughs) That was very eloquent. Yeah, I'm glad that you're able to speak about it. I feel like I used to, like, not talk about it at all. But I think I, I came to the like grounds to be able to speak about it because like I said so many people were telling it for me I had that in court I had my aunt telling the whole neighborhood and anybody who knew my dad or my mom what happened to me so I think I had to come and then at that time I just didn't want to talk about it with no one like honestly I never ever talked I was just in the house all the time none of my friends knew who knew me from childhood some of them probably still don't know unless their parent told them because my auntie told them but, like, I never told anybody what happened. Only people who really know what happened to me is the people that's in SRN. Or maybe one or two people that I went to school with. And that's only because it happened to them. And I think that's why I, like, started to be able to tell my story. Mm-hmm. Because until I realized I wasn't the only one that it even happens to. Because I felt like that a lot. Like, why me? Right. I was going to ask you this earlier. When you're testifying in your dad's case, like, what are you... I would imagine that would be hard. Is that yeah. hard? It was. I don't even remember them bringing up that I would have, like, we had to go through so much to even get to the court date, to even get adopted. Like, because at the same time, we have his court situation going on. We have us trying to get out of the system. A lot of the time, I was more focused on him, like, getting his rights away. We had to find my sister's father, all this stuff that was going on with us getting out of the system to where, and it was, like, all aligned. We had dates for this, dates Mm -hmm. for this. And then I'm also in school. Yeah. So I was like, not even focused on it to the point where when the date came, they were like, oh, you have to testify next week. And I was like, okay. I was so stressed about it. I just stayed in my room. And the night before, I think what made me get through it the next day, I had a dream about my mom. And it was a bad dream at first, actually. I don't know where this dream came from. And I still to this day try to like make it make sense. Mm -hmm. But when my mom passed, all my siblings would always be like, oh, I saw mom in my dream or whatever. And I felt so upset. Like, I was like, she not going to come visit me? Right. (laughs) I was just like, I haven't seen her. Like, I don't know. Everybody's like saying they've seen her. So I felt kind of sad. The night before, I had this horrible dream that I was like watching someone in a play. And mind you, before, sorry, I had not even been to a play before. But I don't know. I was in this theater and I was there to support people. And I was just like, okay, yeah. And then everybody just looks at me. 
and they're like oh, that's they're like whispering about me like that's the girl that's the girl who got raped by her dad and i started looking at everybody and i'm crying wow. and i think if i can make that make sense it's probably because my auntie at the time like i said was telling everybody and i felt like everybody knew i feel like that's what it was but then and i like were getting ready to go to court where everyone was going to be talking about your case yeah probably mm -hmm. so i and i walked out and i was crying and i left the theater and i got in this cab and and then the cab i just would see like downtown and i was just buildings flying and then i stopped in front of the courthouse and i got out and then everybody's like oh that's her that's her and then this lady dressed in black with like this umbrella i couldn't see their face like walks up to me and then she lifts the umbrella it's my mom uh, and then she's like don't worry about your dad i got it that's oh exactly gosh, what she said Anita. i got you and then after that i was good like i woke up and i was like she got me i just i told my sister i was like mama got me that's beautiful and then i went there and i broke down crying <laughs> i Remember you sharing on multiple different occasions that SRM was one of the first platforms that you ever really got to share your full story. What was that like for you? Do you remember mm. the first time you shared your story with everyone? I know the first time I ever told anybody other than like the court people it was just, um, probably Miss Vicky mm -hmm. in, the, in the interview. Well, Miss Vicky came to my second interview, but I did tell her. I don't know. The first place I think I probably felt like I wasn't being like looked at as a victim was probably in the poetry class. Mm -hmm. And the that's poetry class I, that you have to start right now. Yeah, the poetry mm -hmm. class with um, Dennis. That was the first class I took at starting right now, actually. And I came in the middle mm -hmm. of the class. And I just felt like because we all come there, we all are there with crazy backgrounds and trials. I felt comfortable and I didn't even have to say that I felt comfortable. It was just, it was just there. So mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It was an easy prompt to write it to someone who you knew couldn't talk back. And I chose my dad and I wrote the poem that I performed. What a good prompt. Shout out to Dennis. <laughs> yeah. And so I wrote to him and then it even and so turned out. So you're in a class with strangers. Yeah. You don't like know I had them. only known been them there for probably like a week, a right? Week. The prompt was to write to someone who you knew couldn't write back. And at that time, I don't know. I didn't think about my dad much because I was going through a lot here. Mm -hmm. But if I had to choose anybody I knew who couldn't write back, it would either be my mom or my dad. Mm -hmm. for the reasons that they weren't here. And so I chose my dad, but ended up writing about my mom in the end. And then I was able to perform it in front of everybody. And I don't know, everybody made me feel like I was strong for saying it, but and I, but I still had that like lingering feeling of guilt, I guess. Mm -hmm. I'm always gonna feel guilty and I know I shouldn't say that, but I will because I kind of- It's not that you shouldn't say it. You, you should say how you feel. I feel like yeah. that. But um, no, I think you should feel how you feel. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, because a lot of people tell me you shouldn't feel guilty, but I'm like, I do. And it's not even because I feel guilty for a lot of reasons, like because my brother don't, doesn't have his father. He didn't have anything to do with that. He wasn't bothered by my dad, but it was just one day he didn't have his dad. So I feel guilty about that. I mean, my point that. only with that, I think you should feel however you feel. I didn't live it. My only point is that from my perspective, your brother doesn't have a father because of things your father did. Yes, that is true. I mean, I offer that to you as a possibility. Thank you. And just, we didn't, I mean, we kind of talked about the group homes and being in foster care, but yeah. then we didn't, should we, we, should we clarify that? Sure. So like you report what has happened with your father, your sister hopes you report it. Mm -hmm. And is that, at that point you are enter into foster care? Yeah. How and many, do you remember how many homes you lived in before you ended up moving with your auntie? It was like two or three. So by the time you agreed to go to starting right now, you were familiar with this sort of thing. Yeah. By the time I went to starting right now, I was like, oh, I got this. Like, it's just, I'm used to this system. I'm used to being in homes with people with all these rules. Like, I, I told Vicky that. Did you know we're not foster care? Did you yeah, know the difference? Yeah, I knew that. And I I was just, I had to make sure everybody who I was, my family knew that because they mm -hmm. were like, 
are you you're choosing to go back into them like it's not the same thing it's different this is volunteer they're gonna help me this is like school focused everything and so once I got that in their head they were like okay and were there were there ways in which starting right now was not what you expected yeah I don't know like the whole energy the vibe in every aspect when I came in and there were hugs to the the speaker who I don't know can't even remember his name it was my first day so you can't blame me but you had a lot going on (laughs) but from like that whole class like it even being offered that was different like in the system they place you and it's you're there you could get along with the people you can not get along with the people you can fight you can run away it was very different it was more like a family they're gonna make sure you eat they're gonna make sure you warm you got these blankets like I went there and it was like the bed was made and I had like a towel and stuff folded up on the sink and I got a tour and all that. They don't really do that in the system. They place you, they, they drop you off. They, drop, they give you to an officer, like mm-hmm. literally they drive you to the place and they drop you off. And, they're, and then it depends on the facility really if they have someone to show you where you're going to go or if you, stuff like that. Like some places are better than others. All of the places I've been to were not horrible. But it does get bad. Like, my brother wasn't with us every time. And he's he has some stories that I don't could not even tell. So this was way better. I mean, did we clearly say how you got to SRN? Did you advocate for yourself? Was that? No, which I'm so happy for. Because at that time, I was still type, I was still type person. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody my business. Mm-hmm. Like, I was raised that way. What happens in the house stays in the house. And so... I didn't tell anybody except my coach, and he told my social worker. I was like, you run your mouth so much. (laughs) But yeah, he told my social worker, and at that point, I had not met my social worker. Like, I had been at tech for three years, and I had not met my social worker, like, once, because I never even felt like I needed to, or I was barely in office. But she called me down, and I was like, who is this lady? And Ms. Liz was like, I have this opportunity. I heard that you're going through this. And I'm like, who told you my business at first? But then she was like, yeah, we have this program that I think I could help you and get you in. By like maybe the end of this week and I was like oh what is it <laughs> and then she told me and then like literally by the end of the week I had interviewed with Susan and then the next day or the next day I was with Vicky yeah I came in there with my little culinary outfit on showing y'all I was about my business <laughs> after your coach went in as you said told your business told my business to your social worker which ended up getting you to the right resources do you have thoughts on that now I mean, um, you said at the time you were irritated. Yes. At the time, I was just like, I was trying to figure out who it was that was telling my business. But I knew it was him. And then I went to him. And then even after, when I first got an SRN, we all know it was a rocky road. Well, Cam's like, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> I was like, we've been on a rocky four years. <laughs> <laughs> it was something else. But I I'm automatically was reaping benefits when I got here. It was always I mean, so. I guess the reason I asked that is because were there ways in which people could have seen you only the people who knew me would ever know that I wasn't happy or that I was even going through that like I said all my friends don't even know what I've been through because I have a good smile and I kept that on and so nobody would have saw me but and I'm happy that they did see me like even if it it happened to be that one coach that told that one social worker that got me here I'm Mm -hmm. very happy and that's one of the reasons why I have that strong bond with him to this day, I still text, like he still texts me and see me. Like when I won the, won the Lightning Scholarship, he saw me that night and he mm-hmm. texts me. He's like, don't be getting too big headed. So you don't know what us little people. Like, and I still talk to my social worker mm-hmm. and I've gotten closer with her. I will always know them for helping me when no, or seeing me when nobody else did. Winning the Lightning Scholarship must have been really exciting, right? It was. 
own different reasons because now I know that I don't have to struggle to pay for college. And that was a lot of my worry, even when I got into SRN, because actually I wasn't thinking about college until I got to SRN. And so once that became a thought, I was struggling to come to terms with, okay, now I'm going to college. How am I going to afford going to college? Me already being halfway into my first year and getting that scholarship, it really, it was like everything. So you won a Lightning Heroes of Tomorrow, which is an incredible program that the Lightning hockey team does because they give a student an opportunity to fund a program, an idea that they are working on while also giving the student scholarship money to attend school. And it's a big amount of money. And it's a unique scholarship because it has to be something that can be implemented in our community of Tampa Bay. And so not only does it give to the student, but it also helps our community prosper. So what was the program that you applied with? Um, I did a, well, still currently, a poetry class for abused kids at the spring. I decided that with um, Miss Vicky. The thing I love about what you're describing is because earlier in our conversation, you said that the poetry class at Starting Right Now with Dennis was one of the first times you felt comfortable enough to tell your story in the way you wanted to. I think specifically you said not as a victim. It was the first time you were encouraged to tell your story not as a victim. And now I really love that you're taking something that was so empowering for you and you're passing it along to other young people who might need it. Yeah, that's what I want to do, period. Like, that's why um, I changed my uh, major to communication. I always said that I want to speak for the people who can't speak for themselves or if not do that, give them the courage to speak. So, And I feel like I gained that, like I said, in SRN in the poetry class, which is why when I came to this like crossroad of, oh, I'm going to be doing a poetry class with these kids, I knew I wanted Dennis to do it because he that was the outcome I got and I wanted a lot of other people to get the same outcome. It's so amazing that you're about to be a teacher, quote unquote, with, with the person that was teaching you. I mean, that the whole project just feels very um, important. Yeah, it is. That's what I wanted it to have, the feel, the outcome. So I'm happy it is like in that stage and something I could 100% put my name on without feeling like untrue to myself. I want to give credit to the Lightning Community Heroes of Tomorrow because they're, the work that they're doing is so incredible because they're empowering mm-hmm. young people like you to give back to young people who need it. And as you mentioned, they're also funding your education in a major way. So like the whole program is just invaluable. And it's crazy that Lightning does that. So I tell people about it all the time so that Mm -hmm. they can apply because everybody deserves money for college. Yeah. (laughs) Well, like it has such practical importance. But the other thing that they're doing and that this is something we try to communicate in many different ways and starting right now. And this is very much the intention of this very podcast. What they're saying to young people is that your ideas matter. And they do. Your ideas matter. Yeah. So we talked about how poetry was so important in your journey and starting right now. Are there other classes or events in starting right now that you want to talk about that were also important in any way, were fun, helped you reclaim your story? Um, um, yeah, like other than poetry, although I love poetry and I'm going to always say poetry first. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Del Carnegie. I like Del Carnegie for the experience. I went through it twice one as a coach and one as a student. Both times I learned something on a different level, if that makes sense. With Del Carnegie, unknowingly, I gained a lot more stronger friendships because of it. 
And it's like more of a subconscious thing once you go through it because it's like you don't notice that you're using these techniques that you learned here. And that's it's like that with a lot of classes that SRN gives you. It's also like that with um, mindfulness. Now, mind you, both classes I didn't like I argued every day <laughs> that's that I didn't want to go to, but yeah. they impact me heavily as well. You just said that um, in these classes, you kind of unknowingly make friends. Why do you think that is? What's happening in the classes where you're like, you come out with friends? I think it's a change within yourself that you don't notice you're making because it's like as a teenager or a person, any like coming from the background I come from, like you don't want people telling you how to do things, how to be, how to act. 95% of the times you think that how you're acting or how you the way you are is justified. And so mm. in those classes, you're listening, but you're not going to let them know you're listening. Like <laughs> you're hearing it, but you're not going to let them know you're hearing it. And so it's like because you try to battle it so hard, it's like you just take it in no matter what. You take it in and without even noticing it, you, you're you acting on those. And probably years later, you're like, oh, I like this. Oh, that's why. I'm like, oh. That's a really interesting observation that you're saying that it's like a change within you rather yeah. than anything outside of you. Or? And then you don't notice like because, yeah, I'll, when you come in, SRN, almost like everything outside of your regular life has changed because you're no longer struggling to get home from school, going to try struggling to get at work, come home, clean up the house. Like, you know, you're not no longer doing these things that you were already doing. You, you're going to classes, you're going to school, you're going to all these events. It's like different. And sometimes you might not know how to take it. Mm. And so these classes that you're manda- that's mandatory, something you don't have option in, like it's crazy because you take them and you don't realize it until you get back. I didn't realize that I was changing like until I got back into my old environment. If I would go visit an old friend or my family and I would see like that, I don't react the same way I would have reacted. To well, this. even in starting right now, recently we had a student going a little bit crazy about having to uh, turn in an assignment on time. If he didn't turn in the assignments, he was going to have house restriction. And Anita was like, well, you should have did the assignments. And this is the same girl that we fought every day yeah, in high was, school to do her assignments on time. And I told him, I said, I have house restriction for these same reasons. I was like, I get it. But at the same time, you acting like this is not going to stop the change the effect. I said, like everybody was just telling the same kid that you could have just asked them differently or approach the situation differently and you would have got a different outcome and that's exactly how I see it now and how I notify like that I've changed because I would have been that same reaction three years ago had it not been for these classes. You said when you go back to your old neighborhood or the other the people before starting right now Mm -hmm. do you want to give an example of how you would have reacted or how you react differently? Um, just simple things like an argument with my sister. Like, I remember one time I went home and I was cleaning the house. Now, I was not, I wasn't my house. Like I said, I was living at SR at the time, but it was like out of hand. So I start cleaning and my sister's on the couch sleeping. She's upset because I'm cleaning and she's trying to sleep. And I took like something off of her. She went to sleep like with something like leaning. She was eating or something and she went to sleep with the food on the couch. And I picked it up. And I was taking it in the kitchen and she started screaming and just going off and, oh, you think you're better than us? You know, at the time, everybody was a little in their feelings about me moving without telling them. And she's like, you think you're better than us? You can clean the house. I didn't say anything. I just sat down. I was no longer going to clean the house that I don't live in. But so I sat down and I just went on like on my phone and let her literally argue with herself because that's what she was doing. But in the past, like, months before before I even left I probably would have argued with her mm-hmm. it probably would have ended in the fight whether that be physical or not like but and that's when I realized like 
I have more respect for myself now than to argue with you over something that is really ridiculous because I'm here cleaning the house that's no longer mine. So in that moment, I realized like there's no point of even going to the levels that I used to be in. That's a really nice way of putting it, that you have more respect for yourself. I like that. Thank you. And I'm glad that's true. What are you up to right now? So right now I'm at HCC attending the medical assistant program. My goal is to get that and potentially work maybe in high school, my tech, tech high school, or at a senior's home. Do you want to say what's been your proudest moment in the last four years of your life? My proudest moment? Every time I do something right, like, because still now I feel like I'm messing up these days. But every time I do something right, it's like you guys are there to praise me. And I'm like, okay, because I probably wouldn't do it myself. Like, I'm that type of person. I wouldn't praise myself for doing something right. But you guys do that. So every time I do something right, even if it's small, you know. Is there something you would say to a homeless youth if they were listening? Something you'd want to say to them? I would just say to speak their truth, tell their story, and ask for help. Stay true to themselves, too, because it's a lot of things that you can go through when you don't necessarily have all the resources to where you forget who you are. Mm. So just as simple as, you know, trying to figure out where you're going to be the next day. You will. It gets hard, like, to remember who you are, what your values are, and everything like that. Is there anything you would want to say to someone who has experienced sexual abuse or rape? I don't want to say anything generic. Like everybody always say, like, it's not your fault or anything. I just think, I don't know. My only thing that helped me was reclaiming my story. That's what I would suggest because for everybody, it's different. Their story is always going to be different. Like if they reclaim it, I feel like they'll be a bit better to understand their feelings in that moment and moving forward. That's what was best for me. Like knowing how I felt in that moment and how I can move forward from that with of course, the classes that y'all helped, y'all gave me at SRN. So I would also say, like, I think if you better understand yourself 100%, like, no matter what classes you have to take, mindfulness, whatever that case may be, if it's poetry, it could be different for everybody. But all those put together was how I was able to understand that and move forward from it. That literally just gave me chills down my spine. That was beautiful. Why, did, why was it a story that you, I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want you to say, why was it a story that you wanted, I mean, before we started this, you were like, This is very important. Anita? Yeah. For me, it took her a long time for her to acknowledge her worth and her power in her words. And I thought it was important for her to share her story because I feel like she has made such great changes in her life and changes that can help influence somebody else to know that it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Or as Cameron would say, the story hasn't even started yet. Yeah, I mean, the thing about (laughs) starting right now that I always say and I remind myself is that all of this is just the beginning. Mm -hmm. Even kids that have been in the program for a decade, I think... They're just starting. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us as individuals and as a community. And that's the thing that's exciting to me. Yeah. What do you think, like, in general, why is starting right now so important? They they notice the people who go unnoticed, basically. Mm. Like, a lot of not only my story, but a lot of people who came before me who I hear about. There are stories that I've heard before who it's too late for. Like, even now, my sister, my older sister, she's like, Anita, I wish I was, I knew this program when I was going through what I was going through. My sister got kicked out when she was 16. She would, she didn't come back to mom, aunt's house. She dropped out of college and got a job and got her first apartment. And it's been like that ever since. And she's like, I wish I had that. So they notice the people who go unnoticed. They help the people who can't really help themselves. And they do it. You guys do it. It's so much like... Like, you have so much more to give, so much energy. It's crazy. 
I've known this all along, but I'm always impressed with how strong you are. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Always. If you're a high school student in Tampa Bay and do not have a stable home, or you know someone in this situation, please contact your social worker about starting right now. This podcast is brought to you by Humana Foundation, Hillsborough Education Foundation, and WEDU. If you are listening and want to donate a service or funding, please contact info at startingrightnow.org. Thank you.